So these will be um, the future channel trends. Well, this is basically future channel trends are the current marketing trends that I think most marketers are either paying attention to uh, or they probably should be paying attention to. So this is not sector specific. This goes right across um, kind of all sectors. But if you read any of the marketing uh, media right now, if you're watching any of the kind of marketing commentators, they're all talking about this stuff. So I just want to spend a little bit of time going through each one of these. Um, and this has changed since last year. So I know you saw the last year's version of this, I think, on a, um, a chart. Um, and there's a couple of new ones in here. Um, and the couple of new ones are these two, uh, sustainability and ethics and influencers. So influencers has been something that's been growing and growing and growing, obviously with the celebrity influencer thing, but it is now in a B2B space big time because B2B marketers have figured out that actually we need to really be doing the B2B version of the celebrity influencer thing because the process that is happening there in a sort of consumer celebrity kind of fashion lifestyle perspective is now rippling into B2B marketing. So influencers is everywhere now. So we're not talking about the, um, I don't know, Katy Perry's, Taylor Swift's and Rihanna's of this world in terms of like the big kind of like tens of millions of followers. We're talking about those who might just be a very, very, very niche player in, an, in a marketplace that you want to actually penetrate. So that's a really, really key one. Audio is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So we'll talk about that. Uh, community, we've already seen community come through in recent years as being something you've got to really take into account because you're not going to be doing marketing by yourself. Um, there is a trend towards integrating your marketing into communities, uh, communities that already exist, so you piggyback onto existing conversations and see where your stuff can dovetail. Um, mobility has been in the mix for probably about 10 years now in terms of trends, it's still a trending subject. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really important. That's basically mobility of where your target customers physically are, but also the use of mobile devices, smartphones, tablets, etc. So that, that's a really, really, really important one still. It's not gonna go away. Um, data and automation. So data was a big one. Certainly last year, everybody was talking about big data, how you're gonna use big data to kind of improve uh, marketing experience or customer experience, um, that still hasn't been optimised. There's still opportunities for that and we'll kind of see if we explore a few of those things. Um, and automation is part of you know how you're going to master digital channels really um, because automation is about being super efficient, really understanding the things that you can kind of take out of having to have human intervention. I mean, chatbots you know, is, is a really, really good example of something that may add some value to those kind of repetitive processes that are kind of low value. What we're not saying is necessarily to automate the high value interaction, yeah, yeah. but the little stuff, the little stuff where people can self-serve, um, a lot of that can be automated and still retains you know, a good value in terms of uh, the relationship. So just really taking each of those um, in, in a little bit of detail then. So the very first one that we'll look at is, is this whole thing about data and the power inside your data and kind of starting to figure out whether automation has a part to play. Now you can only really do that by understanding every single step and touch point on your customer's journey. 
because there is a danger that your business wants you to over plan and overthink the whole automation thing. And just because you can automate doesn't mean you should be automating. So there's a really important decision so, or set of decisions to make strategically as to how far you take automation. If automation adds value and efficiency at the same time, then it's something to consider. If automation adds efficiency but detracts from the value that the customer gets, then there's got to be a big question mark there. But it is balance. Um, if it detracts but actually the weight of efficiency savings far outweigh the detraction from the customer's value, then you might say, well, do you know, on balance, it's worth us doing some kind of automation. But you're only really going to get that if you actually know the data. And by knowing the data, what we mean is actually breaking down all of the information that you have about your target persona. So if you really intimately know who your target persona is, you'll know what floats their boat. You, you'll know what gets them excited. You'll know what kind of information, logical stuff they need. You'll know what gets them emotionally hooked to the content that you publish. You'll know what kind of devices they're going to be more receptive to hearing from you through. Um, you'll know their kind of lifestyle and kind of what sort of impacts them most and what doesn't. You'll know the kind of thing that will resonate with them. And this kind of stuff should be inside your data. As a marketer, what we want really is to be able to capture all of the possible combinations of data that are going to help our decision making. So that doesn't mean we have to capture absolutely everything because obviously there's billions and billions of combinations of data. But what we need to do is figure out at the outset what is important that I know. And then making sure you've got this constant, consistent feed of data into some kind of system that potentially then can open up this automation. So it's about thinking strategically. It's not about being driven by the software that can automate. Um, because, I mean, certainly this whole kind of automation piece really came about through a lot of the email marketing systems. So, you know, the guys like um, HubSpot, for example, um, you know, and, and many, and Mailer, MailChimp, you know, all of those guys really were creating platforms that kind of guessed what marketers would want. Um, and I'm not doing them down in any way, shape or form. Yeah. They have a huge value to lots and lots of businesses. Yeah. But for me, strategically, the better starting point from the marketer's perspective is to think, actually, what do I want to know? What do I want to learn? What do I want to be monitoring and analysing and listening to? And then let's look for systems and platforms that can provide that, rather than subscribing to a system and thinking, right, what can this do? It kind of feels the wrong, intuitively feels the wrong way round. Yeah. So I think for me, the biggest, sort of most important starting point with this whole automation piece is to figure out what data do I need to know about my persona to serve them better on their journey. Figuring out the journey and then seeing what kind of systems and processes and software and platforms and devices and potentially and hardware can serve that purpose because that's a more strategic decision so figuring out the kind of data that you need to help your decisions choreographing a journey for a target persona and of course you can multiply this by all the personas you want to engage with but select one to start with and then figure out are there any points on that journey that potentially I could automate that wouldn't detract from the journey but that would make us super efficient 
Now, if the answer is right here, right now, no, there aren't, then that's your strategic decision. But I would imagine if you think about those three point, those three um, stages of the journey, the awareness, the conversion and the retention, at some point in those three stages, some kind of automation could come into play. And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later. But these are one of the things that really is a hot topic right now. If you're thinking about trying to master and get more efficiency in your digital channels, it's about figuring out which pockets of data are most important to you to help your decisions and then figuring out on the journey which things could I automate, which things could I get efficiency savings from by using technology. So that leads on to the whole thing about insights from your data. Um, I always like to think about it, and it's, it's a phrase that, you know, I can't remember how many times I've said it, literally thousands of times. It is about turning information into intelligence. Okay, so that is your role as a marketer as you look at these trends. What kind of insights are you going to collect that will help you to turn those insights and information into intelligence that can help your decision making or the decision making in your organisation? So by moving stuff from information into intelligence, basically what you're doing is you're interpreting that data. So you're making judgments and you're making decisions around what that data means to turn it into intelligence. That would be difficult to find that insight because it can be difficult, you know. It, it can be difficult, but I think, again, it comes from this reverse engineering thing. So if you decide, OK, what kind of decisions do I need to be making? OK, so what kind of insights are going to help me to make those decisions? So, for example, to take the simple example, um, which we talked about before, um, which is about um, maybe self-serving a pre-conversion, pre-purchase booking of a, a test drive, a test example of a particular product or service. We won't name any specific, but you know, if you sort of think about test driving a product, um, if you can self-serve that, for example, what knowledge, what insights would you need from that customer group that you're targeting to be able to make that decision that actually it is worth us automating that process? Because if by going through some polls, online polls, or doing some online research, or doing a focus group, you hear that actually they don't want it to be self-service to get that booking. Actually, what they want to do is they want to talk to a customer service agent or somebody like that. Then if that is the answer, that's the intelligence that you want. So you figure out, well, okay, so how can I get that intelligence? Well, it's by getting these insights. So how can I capture those insights? Well, it's by doing these types of research. So you get, again, reverse engineer back from the answer that you want to figure out the questions that you have to ask. And you can continually kind of practice that. You can continually go down the route of, okay, what is it I need to know? And then figure out, okay, so how am I going to get that information to empower my decisions, to make my decisions better? We've seen that as well and on the other trend, which is very much this whole kind of mobility thing, because now what we're seeing is, is you um, sort of you know, take on board the whole kind of mobility trend where you know, the vast, vast majority now of interactions you're going to get digitally will be through mobile devices. Um, people do not sit on big screens any longer to either purchase from you, do research about you, um, communicate online in their communities, um, post reviews or whatever, answer their emails. Everything now pretty much in a lot of target audience 
um, lots of demographics, lots of segments, lots of sectors, is all being done on mobile. So you've got this small screen challenge, as I would call it, um, where you've got a little moment in time, you've got a little pocket of data or content that you've got to get through on a small screen to make a huge impact, and that is in itself quite a challenge. The really neat thing, though, it is, as the... Um, the visual shows here, it is literally in the palm of your hand. So these devices are getting through past gatekeepers now. Back in the day, when I first started in, in um, digital marketing, like as we say, 25 years ago, the first website, it was all on a big screen. We didn't have mobile devices to be able to do this kind of stuff. So you, if you could get to this person, you had a lot of digital real estate to play with. You could do big content, you could do big images, you could make a wow impact just by the sheer scale of what you've got. Now, the whole mobility challenge, there is an upside and a downside. The upside is you're in the palm of this person's hand, so you're right in their face. The downside is this space that you've got to play in is really, really tight. So this whole AI thing, awareness and impact, really comes into play. You've got to be so relevant. You've got to be so relevant. You've got to be really pinpoint targeted. You can't take up hardly any of their time at all. So the targeting, the focus, and the really intimate knowing your customer and knowing what time of day is the best time to send that email, the best time of day that they're going to be online, all of these kind of insights. But think about it from a mobile perspective. It's not from sitting on a screen. So actually, a lot of marketers now are doing their marketing via mobile device. So they're actually doing the Instagram posts and stuff, which you have to, obviously, you know, through a mobile device. But they're actually translating that over into their Twitter accounts and onto their LinkedIn. They're not actually communicating in the outbound sense from their computer. They're doing it from mobile because they're getting into that mindset, well, hold on, if I do it from my big computer and I see it in all its glory, actually when it translates down to a small device, it's completely different. So if I do it from my mobile, I'm actually in my customer's headspace as I do it. See, this is a difficulty we have at my work because we're creating assets and we need to test them because sometimes, yes, it works great mm. on the computer screen, but then it doesn't come out how it does on the mobile. So then Absolutely. you near, near enough have to sometimes split them up into two projects because the space you have is so much more valuable on the mobile than the big screen. And it changes things like T's and C's, compliance, things like that. Yeah, and it ripples out across everything because even though you might know your, your target customer intimately, they might that very day, and this could be a really premium value customer, they might decide, actually, I'm going to look you up and, and, and do some stuff on the big screen. Or they might shift from being on the big screen and think, oh, I'll just do this while I commute, or I'm, I'm on a train or something today, or I'm going to check everything on my mobile device. You've got to be so savvy and so responsive, and that's why whole responsive sites, and that is exactly where multiple channels comes to play. Imagine if you focused on mobile, just on social, and you're playing for three months on a campaign, and then your customer logs onto your website, and there's nothing on there. Exactly. So this comes back to this whole thing about how you're going to use your assets. So the, the, the pockets of content that you create that you can then repurpose for different devices, through different channels, at different points in the customer journey, for publishing at different times of the day, through potentially going out on different social networks. Again, awareness, impact. Think about, you've got to be super aware of you know, how and where they're going to consume these assets. You've also then got to think about the impact that those assets have in those individual channels. There's a lot to play with here.
but it is about prioritizing. If you know your target customer persona, you know where their preference is. You probably don't have the time and space and resource to be able to do every channel. You probably don't. And you also don't have unlimited amounts of content or assets. So you've got to prioritize what's the most important, what's possible to do within budget, what kind of time scales have I got available, but the key thing about this trend is the vast majority of the answers are going to be it's going to be on mobile devices. So if you have to sway in one direction or another, it's probably to the positive for mobile. Yeah. The other thing as well that comes into play here is this thing about community. Um, community is not going to go away. So we see communities here uh, on a large scale uh, where you're talking about you know giant social networks on a particular subject, special interest groups, you know the big scale stuff, down to little very very sp um, specific and very very um, sort of focused small local communities. So again knowing your customer, your target persona will start to narrow down those communities in which you feel that you should be playing. You can build your own communities. If you feel you've got brand presence and you've already done the awareness and the impact, so you've already got that traction and that credibility, you could decide you're going to lead on a particular subject, maybe your thought leaders on a particular uh, subject, and you're gonna build a community around that. Great, if you've got the bandwidth and you think this is strategically important, that in itself could be a hugely positive channel for you. Most marketers will be piggybacking on existing channels and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, simple example is at the moment I'm piggybacking on the UK Marketing Network, um, which is a channel on um, LinkedIn. It's got some 60 odd thousand uh, marketers um, and we're trying to get a particular subject, which I'll talk about a little bit in, uh, in a moment, um, a particular trend. We're trying to get um, some trending um, sort of conversation going on there. Despite it having 60,000 members, the amount of engagement is very, very low. So just because a community is big doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a huge amount of traction. You might find that a little specialist small community, which is absolutely dynamic and really happening every single day, could actually be more profitable for you. So do the research is the thing, but the concept of community is almost certainly going to come to play in this channel. So are you going to use community to build awareness? Are you going to use community to help convert people who are aware, but they're not actually customers yet? Or are you going to use community at the retention stage? Because each one of those decisions, you might decide, actually, I'm going to use it at conversion and retention, or I'm going to use it through awareness and conversion, or actually, I'm going to use it across all three stages of the journey. It will shape how you use that community based on where you're putting it in the customer journey. Of course, it all comes back to the journey. Community is just community. The journey for the customer is the more important thing. This is just a subset, but it's not gonna go away and you're not in isolation. That's the beauty of community now. As a marketer, you're not in a little ivory tower. You're part of an ecosystem. So you've gotta figure out which ecosystems are the ones that are gonna be most useful to me. Another big trend, um, and we're kind of Sort of, you know, dipping in and out of, the, of these trends, we're not going in any particular order here, um, is audio. 
okay this one is getting bigger and bigger and bigger um, it's one of the oldest trends in this kind of future trends thing because we've had audio podcasts basically um, and we've had these for many many years but it was in the last two years that they started to come back in as a big big opportunity for marketers who really want to use them um, we know that we've had video now for around about 10 years in the marketing mix both live video and also cam video um, the likes of YouTube and Vimeo have been obviously huge growth opportunities for marketers audio has been that kind of almost sort of poor cousin who's been sort of sat in the uh, in the shadows it's now coming to play big time it's so simple to do um, you're listening to one now if you're listening to the recording of this um, which is actually quite amusing in itself because obviously we're talking about this and smiling live about this whole thing but actually if you're listening to this on a recording this is actually physically a podcast um, and this is basically Apple saying you speak the world listens and it is a really really interesting exercise to go through um, podcasts as resources or assets are hugely valuable they're so so convenient for people to consume they're very very easy to record um, you don't need to go for broadcast quality um, you can just do them on your smartphone um, this one itself is being recorded with just a little um, mic plugged into um, a little lapel mic plugged into an iPhone for example um, and as you can hear the quality is absolutely fine to consume online so you do not need to be thinking about you know, broadcast quality going out through the BBC or anything like that. You can just do this to create assets around uh, content that you might be doing as video or very importantly content that you're providing in text form. So in effect it can be a speaking brochure, it can be a speaking blog. So if you record or, or uh, write a blog you can record the audio version of it. So if somebody is searching for you through Alexa or Siri in the future it's more likely the return result will be the audio version rather than the text version of your particular asset so think about how you're creating your assets think about can I create an audio version of this um, if you're a thought leader on a particular subject you can really go to town with this because everything that you create in written or video form you can also you know, re-record or take an audio file of and then you've got an asset that's going to go out published through a variety of different channels. Um, for example, you can automate using something called FeedBurner, for example, you can automate um, the collection of every time you publish onto your website with the tag podcast. FeedBurner will be watching your website 24-7. Every time you broadcast with the tag podcast, it picks it up and sends it out to iTunes as a podcast and it does it automatically. It's such a simple process, doesn't involve you being involved at all, and yet it broadcasts you to the world. So you've effectively got your own radio station. If you couple that in with something like YouTube, you've effectively got your own TV station and radio station for very little extra effort. So this allows you then to go out at scale, and if you're looking to integrate your um, content or your various assets with your customer's lifestyle there will be times of the day where it's far easier for them to listen on the commute or as they're driving the car to your audio version of the thing that you've just published rather than waiting for them expecting them to sit down to read pages and pages and pages of stuff on maybe a small device screen they're not going to physically do that so this is going to be really useful for you. So think about how can I repurpose the assets that I've got in audio form? 
very, very useful, very, very easy to automate, and just super convenient for the consumption by your audience. So it's a really, really helpful one. And that leads and segues beautifully into one of the key things, which is um, influencers. A lot of influencers are doing this because what they're doing is creating content at scale and they're creating content that they repurpose. Um, this is one of the best practice things that influencers do. Um, now, influencers come across in a whole range of, of sectors and marketplaces. The ones that make the media channels, the ones that are making millions and flying around in private jets are the ones who are doing the lifestyle stuff. They're the travel bloggers, they're the, um, the gamers, they're the ones who have got, you know, fashion um, so it's, it's everyone from Kim Kardashian downwards, basically. Mm. So they are focusing in on current trends and fashion, fashionable stuff, be it music, lifestyle or travel. Um, what we're probably talking about here for our own sort of uh, brands, be they B2B or B2C, um, or if we're in the um, agency space, what we are probably talking about here is sector influencers. So these are the journalists, these are the people who are passionate about their sector. These could be the industry or sector associations or bodies, so the professional bodies in those um, so, um, um, industries. Um, I mean, a great example here from a marketing industry would be the CIM. So they are significant influencers of the, the current groundswell of debate and of, of subjects. Um, they're obviously a professional awarding body, but they run a whole bunch of stuff that makes them influencers. Um, you can get obviously the Direct Marketing Association, Smart Insights, people like this are influencers from a professional perspective in marketing sphere. Um, you can also get other influencers who are much more at the, um, the coalface. So the big ones um, at the moment in terms of marketing are people like Gary Vee. Um, who is all over um, sort of social media space in terms of um, real kind of you know, get down and dirty with you know the latest kind of trends in in, in marketing, um, and these are all people who, who influence us as marketers um, in terms of best practice opportunities things that we can do and also how we can sort of bring in some of this kind of tactical stuff into our strategies. So we can listen to these influencers from our own industry in marketing, but we can also be seeking the influencers who are influencing the customers we want to get to. Because if we can turn an influencer, identify them and then serve them with really useful and valuable content that they can either repurpose or review or pass on as an advocate, then what we're doing is we're scaling the the reach, if you like, in its broadest sense, of the assets and the content that we've got. So figure out who the influencers are in the world that your target customer resides in. So if, if it's a, a he and he's in a business-to-business -business space and he's a particular industry, maybe he's an architect. So who in the architect space are the key influencers today and in the future? Because these people are going to be influencing his decisions. He is going to be holding on, them, on their, their very next word or their next blog. He's going to be consuming their podcasts. He's going to be watching their videos on YouTube. If you're 
Um, uh, influencer is um, say uh, sort of mum's net or um, you know you're targeting you know mums of a certain demographic in a certain geography um, sort of mum's net might be really um, in, um, significant influencer who else in the lifestyle space is influencing that mum for example um, you know each and every one of us has got a different target persona that you know is really fundamentally the most important reason that we are in marketing for so we've got to get into their headspace so think about who's influencing them because we've got to get to them to help spread the word and the messages that we're trying to get out there. So yes, it might be in the lifestyle, um, travel, gaming space, but more often than not, it's not going to be. So we can think at a much more local level, who are the key influencers and you know how are we going to get to them? And again, it's about treating almost them as more than a stakeholder, probably about treating them as a customer of sorts, customer with a small c, and thinking, okay, let's go through the process of engagement with them. Let's get an influencer journey. How are we going to make them aware of us? How are we going to convert them and get them on side? And how are we going to keep them sweet in the retention stage? So a really important thing to be going through now as, as marketers. We don't market in isolation. We have to market with influencers in mind because they are just so significant and they're not going to go away. One big one um, that is coming through loud and clear, doesn't matter which direction you turn now, is sustainability and ethics. Being a mindful organisation. Your customer, doesn't matter what kind of persona they are, is going to be critiquing you as a business and you as a brand and you as a set of people and you as a community as to how good you are in a sustainable and an ethical manner. So they're going to be looking at you to see, okay, what is your environmental policy? They might be looking through the marketing that you do and kind of trying to figure that out, or they might come to your website and actually look to see whether you've got it clearly stated there. Depends on the persona, but they're still going to be aware that you are operating in business in a certain way. Um, they're also going to be looking at how your um, business operates ethically. In other words, you know, are you just in this to make money from me as a customer? Or actually, do you reinvest some of your money into um, you know, good charitable causes? Or are you doing good initiatives that are doing good for the planet? You know, what are your policies around this kind of stuff? It's absolutely about having a social purpose. And a lot of businesses now are coming through with this kind of higher social purpose as being the fundamental reason that they're in business. Especially fast-moving consumer goods. Oh, like Unilever is the leader of that, I think. People eat at Unilever. All of his products sort of have a social purpose now. It's sort of, yeah. Works really well, because I think millennials are looking out for this. They, they don't want to invest in brands who aren't looking after the planet. They're not caring who their stakeholders are. So, mm. And then this obviously comes into your marketing when you put on pack and... It ripples absolutely all the way through it, yeah. And it basically allows you as part of the... And there's a really interesting dynamic that, that goes on here because it used to be called CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility. Then it kind of morphed more recently into CSR, Corporate Social Response. In other words, you had to see some evidence for it. 
But now people see through that because that seemed to be just like a checklist of stuff that, hey, we've made some good strategic statements, so oh, we, must, we must have a good CSR policy. But I think you're absolutely right. Millennials coming through, and a lot of these now are budget holders, decision makers. So these are people now who are people of influence. Five, ten years ago, you could get away with it because they weren't. Now, they are looking through and they're listening on social media to what their peers and their friends think about particular brands. And they're making decisions based on that more so than they are actually on what the product delivers to them. So it's absolutely huge. And this is going to be one of the biggest growth trends, the most important growth trends in 2019. There's there's a lot of um, debate and stuff that's being talked about now. Um, in terms of actually redefining potentially what the marketing mix talks about. Um, product, price, place, promotion seems to be the definition of yesterday. Product, price, place, promotion. If you think about those four, four words, that's all what's in it for the company. Today, what your customer wants is to know your purpose, people, your process, and that you're making mindful, sustainable, ethical profit. So it's purpose, people, process, profit. Product, place, price, promotion, all about you. Purpose, people, process, profit, all about them. So what it's doing is it's fundamentally shifting the way that, or the mindset with which marketers approach the mix through their digital channels. So if they just come at this from, hey, what product are we going to start to sell today? Are we going to make some profit from it? How are we going to promote it? What price is this going to go on at? Well, that is so about you. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not millennial. But if I was a millennial, even if I'm me, I'm looking at that thinking, what? Where's the personalization? Where's the, this customer lifetime value that you talk about in your textbooks, Mr. or Mrs. Marketer? Sorry, I'm not believing anything that you're telling me. But if you come at me with, okay, but we're doing this because we've got a higher purpose. We're doing this with ethical, sustainable people who kind of get the value that we're trying to add to you. We've got processes that are super efficient, that are stripping out waste, that are doing good for the environment and making us super efficient. And actually, some of our profit goes back into making this stuff better and feeding this higher purpose. Well, that in itself is a message that you could take actually out as part of your brand proposition because people are looking for this. This is, this is something that is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's hard in the automotive industry though, I think, because obviously the natural sort of driving petrol and diesel cars not good for an environment and we know that and we see, you know, the law, the sort of macro environment, what's going on, laws, regu regulation, pay more tax if your car lets off more emissions and stuff like that. So it's very hard when you sort of have to look into how are you going what, to, what's, what's our purpose going, going to be in 10, 20 years time? Maybe that we want 10% of our customers to have electric cars. We're trying to, you know, automotive industry is really challenging for them, I think. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I, I think one of the key things sort of within that is kind of figuring out, it's, it's a balance, it's kind of figuring out, okay, so one, what is important for us as an organisation to kind of focus on, maybe getting some quick wins or some simple 
things that strategically we can do. So if it is that whole transition from diesel to petrol to hybrid to electric, for example, is, is kind of manifest that transition and actually start to strategically bring that transition and that story into the mix for example. Yeah. Now, I, now I know from a, a practical perspective, a car manufacturer, there's a huge amount of process that goes on in terms of actually making that happen. Yeah. Um, but I think what it's about, it's about starting that journey, because even if you only make kind of 1%, little incremental improvements to stuff, it's at least showing that you are being mindful of that journey. Mm -hmm. um, it's the organisations who are completely ignoring it are the ones who are going to start to fail very, very quickly. Um, the ones who are actually on the journey, the ones who are actually starting to build this thinking into their planning and also into their choice of channels and also into some of their processes and efficiencies, the stuff that we've been talking about, those are the ones that are going to be relevant. I don't think anybody minds as a customer seeing that a company or a brand isn't perfect as long as you can see, look, they're really trying. Actually, they have made some gains. They've made some improvements and actually... They're being transparent about this. They're being authentic. They might not be the most eco company on the planet, but look, they're at least having a go. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people would take that as being, well, yeah, good on them. You know, yeah. they're coming from a bad place. They're coming from somewhere that was actually really hard to do this. You know, for some organizations, they might be very young, very fleet of foot. They've grown up in this environment. It's easy for them to do it because that's how they were created. If you're looking for an organization or working for an organization who's got legacy, you might be a hundred year old manufacturer and you might be in a really dirty, uneco environment. Yeah. But, but it is, absolutely. So well, that's the legacy. But if they can show that actually we've got the right kind of people policies in place, actually we're doing good stuff with the profit that we're making, we are reinvesting in this kind of process improvement, and actually we're trying to create a higher purpose, we're not trying to you know, savage the environment, we're trying to do things right. I think most people would say, you know, fair on you. Yeah. So one of the things that has been created, and actually I'm part of, is, is something called Mindful Collective, um, which is a new website looking to kind of evangelise and come up with case studies around this whole purpose, people, process, profit piece. Um, because we're seeing this as coming through in every single sector as being a really important thing. So we've created this kind of single place where you can actually go and start to be part of the debate. So we're getting organisations involved in this and already we've got a couple signed up. Um, and if you go there, you'll kind of see who they are, um, who are already on this journey. And they're going to be kind of leading lights in how you kind of do this stuff in the future. Um, and it's really, really important going forward that people take this, as marketers, take this stuff seriously. Because I can imagine in a year or two's time, if you have not shown that you're on this journey and you're just starting out, your competitors have already got a lead on you. So this isn't something to consider tomorrow. This is something to consider today yeah. because it's going to be too late otherwise. So those really are the, the key um, elements that we have in here. I think mobility is still there. Obviously, the whole kind of data and, and automation is a really important thing. Um, but this, I think, for me, is one of the fundamental building blocks in terms of how we choose, how we you know, consciously go forward with our customer journeys and the creation of the assets and how we position our brands in the digital space. We need to be showing evidence that we're kind of building and evolving as an organization. If we're using the old marketing model, 
product place price promotion, we are going to be irrelevant very, very soon. This is not a, oh yeah, it might not happen. This is already happening. So there really is no choice if you're going to be part of this game in the future. And of course, we are talking strategically here. If you're going to be part of this game in the future, you have to be playing in this new space. So purpose, per people, process, profit has to come into your thinking as you go through this whole kind of analysis of the trends that are coming into this space.